How's it going, everybody? It's uh, that was uh, an interesting finish, but you know what? A pretty great game by the Montreal Canadiens overall. And uh, I've got uh, Jack Hahn here with me to break it down. So let's bring him in. Jack, how you feeling? I'm feeling fantastic. Is I, I actually enjoyed watching that game because there was a lot to it. There, there was. was. It. it was an enjoyable game. I think you know. A lot of ha has fans that want to see wins, which I think there's less of them now than there has been most of the time, right? Because the team very clearly is going to be tanking this year, <laughs> intentionally or not. But uh, like a bit of a heartbreaker uh, to have Corey Perry score the tying goal and then lose it in the last minute or so. But overall, that was pretty darn good. Yeah. So as we were discussing before, like the section of the fan base that's like, hoping for good play but also hoping for losses like this is the kind of game for them exactly exactly this is almost exactly what you want to see out of a tanking team you know you want the, the kids to play pretty well suzuki was great i thought you want to have the, the team like show pride the one thing that is like a bit of a takeaway for me this game is a little bit of a negative is uh if there was any doubt that this team has not been trying very hard over the last stretch this game kind of shows that they haven't been trying that hard over the last stretch. Well, well, he, like the the one thing that really uh, uh, stuck out to me was how they they managed to keep shots against slow, and it's a very counterintuitive process, basically, because they did it by holding onto the puck and stringing passes together, and uh, not necessarily looking for that stretch play or that kind of that hail mary. Uh, because they've been doing that. Like in, I would say most of the games I've watched this season, you see a lot of like long stretch passes north that doesn't lead to anything. And then right away, the other team is coming back with speed. So, and for most of the game, I thought Montreal did a better job than usual of just like playing with the puck, like just, you know, nicely, you know, taking the puck, control the tempo, move it D to D, uh, finding short passes, like using the back of the net on the breakout, like hitting the low support player. They weren't creating breakaways like the breakaway that you saw was like in like on a on a high flip right but those plays are few and far between so basically what montreal is doing right now is they're, they're just they're they're getting their hands warmed up they're getting the feel back and then they're just uh looking to control the tempo without necessarily looking to create like a like a great a chance but then by doing that they didn't give up all that much until the very end yeah, I thought also their forecheck was really solid tonight. It seemed like they were, especially in the first and second periods, giving the Tampa Bay Lightning fits. They were creating a lot of turnovers in the Lightning zone and kind of catching them on the boards a lot and moving the puck off the wall a little bit better than usual. Not so much in the first period, in the second period a bit better. But I think that's something you've pointed out several times now on this show and on Twitter is the Canadians struggle to move the puck off the wall. Do you find tonight that they were doing that a little bit more successfully? So, well, I mean, I talk about it all the time because basically at, at any level of hockey, whether it's like PUE up until the NHL, like that's the toughest thing to do is to get the puck from the wall into a position where you can actually have some time and space to make plays with it. So, so that's a universal thing. Um, the second thing is, is that, you know, you, you notice the forecheck being more effective and it's just, it's a result of 
all five skaters being more connected. And you get more connected once again by getting a few passes strung up early in the sequence, maybe exiting your zone with control. And then when you do that, all five players are going to be coming across the neutral zone. And then once you dump it in, then you can get into whatever your forecheck is and then have your Ds be in a position to pinch if need be. Whereas, um, like I watched Colorado and Philadelphia and Philadelphia right now is the worst version of a team that just has zero poise with the puck because basically for the past, like however long Vino has been there with Terry and they've been, they've been telling their players to just shoot the puck North as soon as they can. And then to, you know, then they send in their four checkers. But what happens is their D's and, the, and their forwards become so disconnected. Like the D's have zero patience with the puck and then the forwards they they get sick and tired of, forechecking and then not being able to make a stop and then having to back check. Um, and I mean, they, they gave up 50 shots against Colorado, 50 shots. Like that's, that's huge. Uh, that's a huge number against any team. But so tonight, like we have the opposite situation where Montreal, despite losing, they actually controlled the tempo really well. Yeah, it, it was obvious like that uh, this game meant something to a lot of the guys in that room. I think one of the guys that it very clearly meant a lot to was David Savard. And we chatted a bit before we went live here about him getting his Stanley Cup ring. And I, I didn't see it. I didn't uh, check out Twitter before the game or anything. Uh, busy with the kids before bedtime, right? But uh, apparently it's really cool you were saying, Jack. But uh, clearly he was hyped to play his former team tonight. Yeah, so first about the ring, it's thick. Like you, you got to go uh, catch the, the the video of him getting the the ring because, you know, like Stanley Cup rings are they're really impressive, they're really huge. But what really uh, impressed me was the case because you open up this box and then there's like a screen the size of like a Nintendo DS or whatever, and it's playing a clip of uh, I think it's it might even be David Savard getting the Stanley Cup, which is like one of the coolest things I've ever seen. And, you know, I, I've never, the only Stanley cup ring I've seen up close was, was uh, Sergio Momesso's uh, 86 ring. And his was like really tiny. It's like almost a ring that you can wear every day. Like I haven't seen or held like a, a modern Stanley cup ring, but um, I did get it, get an AHL Calder cup ring. And it's like maybe two thirds of the size of what NHL teams give to their, you know, Stanley cup winners. Um, but, but it's really impressive. Like if you ever have a chance to check out like an actual Stanley cup ring, like do it. And, and also uh, if you ever ha have a chance to like check out like the, the case that I'm talking about, like do it as well. Yeah. It, it sounds really sick. I mean, the lightning last time they won the cup, like the, the first, I guess not their first cup, but the first of the back-to-back -back cups, I think they had the biggest ring ever of any NHL team. So clearly this is a team that <laughs> cares about the rings. Uh, not very wearable. Unfortunately, Not kind of the kind of things whatsoever. that you want to put in a safety deposit box. Yeah, which is like it, it it's sad for me because it kind of goes against the, the purpose because it's the kind of thing that like you could never wear on a daily basis. You might take it out like just to show people, but then you immediately have to put it back in the safe because you're just so paranoid about it getting stolen. And the other thing I want to talk about is um are are you familiar with the concept of money on the board? Yes, of course, yeah. Yeah. So basically if, you know, let's say you're on the Habs and used to play for the Tampa, for Tampa Bay lightning and they're, they're coming in to visit, you're going to put up money on the board. That's going to go toward a team activity if the team wins. Okay. And I would not be surprised if David Savard went like low to mid four figures uh, on the money board tonight. 
Yeah, I, I mean, would... he's got the contract and, and you know, like it's a way to get the boys revved up. Right. Yeah, absolutely. And it looked like Corey Perry did as well, because I think you could argue that <laughs> strange as it is, the two guys that were on opposite teams last year might have been each team's best player tonight, which I know that Corey Perry's goal, I think the puck glanced off Savard before he actually got the puck and, and shoveled it into the net. But despite that little gaffe, I thought Savard had some incredible plays tonight, uh, set up the Suzuki goal to start things coming back, had some... He has these weird things where you expect him to just have zero offense whatsoever, but he's surprisingly good at just beating one checker at, from the blue line in towards the middle and kind of like creating something that's sloppy, but kind of gets the opponents off their game a little bit. And we've seen a handful of times this year where he just makes one little move to the inside and creates a decent chance. And he's still David Savard. So it's rare that he's going to finish that play, but he got something going tonight. Well, I mean, so first of all, certainly Savard was very noticeable tonight. I, I thought maybe he ran out of gas a little bit on that uh, Palat game winner. Like you, you know, he, he pinches down the wall in the offensive zone and he probably just like, he's like a step and a half behind. And, and for a guy who's been playing big minutes and getting really involved, like, I'm not surprised. I don't really blame him. Like I, I could definitely see that he's he's really kind of put it like put it all on the line tonight. And, and the other thing, uh, like to you got to understand is he was probably the best offensive defenseman in his age group growing up. Like from the ages of I don't know, like 12 to all the way up to 20. And then it was only after he he made the pros that he was asked to play more on the PK and to simplify his game and, and take fewer risks and so on and so forth. So all that stuff, it's like, especially the instinct to like jump into plays, like it, it's in him, like he's got it, right? So one of the things I noticed, like having coached in the AHL and, and scouted a lot of NHL players is like defensemen, they actually get worse with time because what happens is like, you know, I mentioned Philly and Philly is kind of like the, the, the best case study for this, which is you get punished disproportionately for trying things as a D. And once you stop trying things and once you start being extremely predictable, like going glass and out or, you know, backing off instead of pinching, like once you, it's kind of like use it or lose it. So once you hit your like mid to late twenties, like kind of where Sammy Niku is now, like if you, if you're not using it and you haven't established yourself as an offensive guy, um, you're probably not going to be that guy anymore. And it's really difficult for you to get it back in your 30s. Uh, it, it's exceedingly rare. Uh, unless you're in a situation like Savard where it's just he's got nobody else and he's got to do it. And then even then, like you see that it's it, it's a little bit sloppy. So so once again, like a, a lot of times you'll see defensemen putting up a lot of points like in the AHL or in Europe. And then some of them, they just don't quite make it. And then those that don't, they quickly wash out because... Uh, you know, when offense is your calling card, but all of a sudden you don't have permission anymore, then what do you have left? So it's 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 really tough to be a D-man in the NHL, especially if you're kind of like on the fringes. Yeah, I think I think you see that a lot, that guys who can't establish themselves as like go-to offensive guys, and that was their bread and butter coming out of junior or uh, college, things have to change right away for them to stay into the league. I mean, you look at like the way that Nathan Beaulieu uh, developed, or I guess you could, but in quotes, developed in the NHL, right? He came in, he was like a premier first pass guy, great skater, and that, that was his game, right? 
And then all of a sudden, now you look at him and his big thing is leaning on toughness and being willing to fight. And that's about all he can do because he's not very good defensively and he's not putting up numbers offensively either. So there's a lot of guys like that who probably have a lot more talent than we expect, but never get the chance to show it. Um, I have a moderately funny story that uh, a couple of years ago, I don't know if you remember when the uh, gold medal final for the world juniors was in Montreal. And I don't remember how, if I bought them or if I got them, but I got tickets to that gold medal game. And I took a friend of mine named James David, who's a really good friend, really awesome guy and very funny. And there was like in that game, the main thing that I remember was like Thomas Shabbat played something like 42 minutes of the 60 something minutes. Cause it went to over, I think it went to overtime and the Americans won it. And there was the seventh defenseman on team Canada who the whole time, every time he touched the puck was just like an utter complete disaster, but he kept on getting thrown out there. And by the end of the first period, we were like full on, like, get this guy off the ice. Every time he touched the puck, we were like, no, no. Like everyone in our section was no, no. And uh, that was Kel Clegg who the Canadian just picked up. And I believe it was his first shift as a Canadian uh, defenseman whiffed on that puck and allowed uh, Patrick Maroon to open the scoring. I feel awful for the kids because that's a horrible way to start your time with a new team. But uh, kind of, I mean, he's obviously not the same player as he was in that world junior tournament. It's totally unfair to judge somebody on one tournament, especially when they're not like one of the premier guys, but it just makes me laugh that, exactly how I remembered him is exactly how he showed up in his first little bit with the Montreal Canadiens. I, I don't think it was a, it might, might've been like the third or fourth shift. Cause I remember him having a couple of uneventful uh, shifts on the ice before, before that pass. But it, it's funny you bring up world juniors because my first impression of Cal Clegg was like going on Twitter and looking at some of the, like the hand track stats that, hockey people would like hockey Twitter people would keep on like the world juniors. And he consistently had the lowest Corsi of all the team candidates. Like, I think it was that year, but basically at that level, he looked like he was completely overwhelmed for whatever reason. Cause obviously he he was going to play shelter minutes on a really strong team. And for whatever reason, he, he was still something like 30 or 40% you know, shot share when he was on the ice, which I found curious because if you look at his junior stats, like they're really good. He put up points, but you know, the more you watch him, the more you realize that he's a good skater. Uh, he's a good passer. He's got a good, he's got good shot. It's just, he has trouble reading pressure. That's the thing. Seems like a bit of an issue for a defenseman. Yeah. I mean, it's, who knows? Maybe he figures it out because I think the skill set's there, and certainly he's going to get a few looks because, uh, you know, maybe the Habs, you know, the, he could be a next kind of waiver wire pickup like Paul Byron was, right? You you get a player for free and it turns out really good. Um, he, he's not overly old, but once again, like he's kind of in that spot that I mentioned before, where as a D, you got to make a decision, which is either. You know, you stick with the offense and maybe you get cut and you have to go play in Europe or you really simplify your game and you satisfy yourself with like being in the NHL, but just barely. Yeah, I, I actually really like the Canadians threw him out on the power play there. I don't know. I think they only got a couple of power plays tonight, but uh, I like that they're trying something, you know, and I as much as it's it's funny, like thinking about how 
I was like basically introduced to Kale Clegg, watching him struggle in that World Juniors in the beginning of this game tonight. But like you said, there's there could be something there at 23 years old, former second round pick, mid second round pick. This is a bet worth making, right? Like this is kind of one of the advantages that you have in a season that's essentially lost with almost 60 games left to play is <coughs> sorry, excuse me. You can take a bet like Kale Clegg and just give him reps all season long and see if he can build something out of it. And I think that's something the Canadians should do down the stretch here. Yeah, and and then the other thing also is that to have enough human resources in house to actually build a curriculum for these players and and you know hone in on on what we talked about, which is his ability to, to create time and space for himself. Because basically, the the problem with Kyle Clegg is he he's he's playing kind of in this he has tunnel vision and he he can't use his feet to create options for himself and and like on that goal against obviously the puck bounced over his stick it was it was you know bad luck but who who was he passing to like he was passing right at the pressure like this is a situation where you take the puck and either you hold it or you you cut back and you come out the other side or you know you carry it somewhere like th- there's no pass to be made there like it could only end up it's either a suicide pass a teammate or you know, whatever happened there happened. Yeah. I mean, you know what it reminded me of is uh, watching myself play hockey. And when I'm just like under pressure and I have no time, I'm just like, just smack the ball away or the puck away. <laughs> just like, get it away from me. Make some, make it somebody else's problem. But uh, you know, obviously not at this level. <laughs> and, but, but, but this, this feeling is universal because if you play at a high enough level, like you're going to, at some point you're going to start feeling overwhelmed like that so for you it might be like you know c c level ball hockey but for other guys it could be ahl for other guys I mean, it could be nhl even c right? level is probably a little bit too high jack and <laughs> you can lower it down you can go far yeah. further down yeah but but what i'm saying is actually a lot of nhl players they feel the same things that you're feeling because that it's just a natural thing and the the best way to to counteract that is simply slow down the tempo. So, you know, I talked about off the top about how the Habs did a good job managing the tempo. And that's because for most of the year, they were trying to play at a tempo that was completely unsustainable for them. They didn't have the horses. Um, they couldn't string string together enough plays. Uh, you know, when they were trailing, uh, their way of playing completely fell apart. They couldn't really generate any sort of real sustained push. Uh, when they were up, they actually, they play okay, but they they seldom had the lead. Whereas tonight, like once again, if you're feeling the panic, which is something that we talked a lot about when I when I was coaching in Toronto, like if you're feeling the panic, you got to slow it down. The, your reaction to feeling panicked on the ice cannot be, I'm just going to throw this puck away because generally that leads to either your teammates getting blown up because you're, you're throwing them suicide passes or it leads to turnovers and then the other team's coming back into your zone with speed. So let's, let's break that situation down for Clegg there. If you're talking to him, and he has that puck uh, on it on his forehand along the boards there his back is to the boards what's the play do you kind of take it on your backhand and push it back against the boards do you try to turn your body and rim it back behind the net or try to go up the boards the the same way on first of all i guess it has to, it matters what's what's his strong side right sure so it, it's it's less about a specific decision more about building capacity 
right? Because let's say that you're, you're, you're hopping on a bike and you're riding for 50 kilometers, you're building capacity, right? In your legs and your, in your lungs and your heart, whatever, if you're lifting weights or building capacity. So for him or, you know, most other young players, you're trying to build capacity for problem solving. So one of the, one of the tells that I see in Clegg's game is when he has the puck on his stick, he has difficulty shifting his weight or crossing his feet or getting on one of his foot. Like he's very centered when he has the puck. So if you're passing the puck out front, like North, no problem. If you're passing a DDD, you're okay. But anything other than that, like any kind of improvisational move that you have to make, you're very limited. Right. And, um, and, you know, you can still be a great player without necessarily having that. Like Jeff Petrie shows a lot of the same things, but he's so big and strong and, and fast that he can kind of get himself out of it, right? Uh, whereas if you look at Romanov, let's say, he has the potential to do that because I actually really like his skating and his posture, but he's just, he doesn't really see the play or he, he doesn't really feel confident enough to try things. So every player is a little bit different like that. Yeah, it's 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 a tough thing, you know, like it I guess for me as well it's uh it's time to figure out like what what the plan is, right, for the Montreal Canadiens and sorry, I'm I'm just struggling to uh gather my thoughts here. I'm a little bit under the weather, so things are uh struggling in my throat. But uh for for Kale Clegg, obviously there's a lot of things that he has to get right in his uh, in his uh, in his play and with handling the puck. Sorry, I'm just uh, so, something that you mentioned uh, about him having trouble shifting his weight from side to side. It reminds me of uh, maybe I'm wrong here, but didn't you say there was a similar issue with Alex Galchenyuk where he was too solid in his feet, and that was one of his issues why he also kept on getting knee injuries because he was trying to make these shifty maneuvers and his feet were kind of staying planted. Well, I like Galchenyuk was a really extreme case. Like it was really, 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 really obvious with him. And like Clegg is more of just like, you see it a little bit and hopefully you can work on that. Whereas Galchenyuk, it was like, you know, it was not only a technical issue, it was going to be like a physical issue too, because he has a history of, of, of the, the knee injuries. Right. So with Clegg, it's like, if you put in a, enough reps over time, I think you can get better at it. And, and I think it's still, like, not to say that he's going to be a top pair guy, but like, it's the kind of little daily habits that over time makes a difference. It's like, you know, if you wake up and decide that you're going to go for a 30 minute jog, as opposed to not doing that jog, like, you know, five years down the road, it does make a big difference. Right. Yeah, absolutely. So it'd be interesting to see if he can build something out of this season here and hopefully some opportunity that the Canadians can throw his way because there is something there, hopefully. But uh, the Canadians have had a, tr a lot of trouble turning like the diamonds in the rough into diamonds. It's, it's a lot of staying rough with the guys that they've been picking up. So uh, we'll move on from Kale Clegg a little bit. Uh, Jake Allen, I thought, was yet again incredible tonight. This has probably been his best overall stretch of the season in the last five games for coming back from injury. It's not to the point where he's going to ruin the tank, obviously, because they managed to blow this game anyway in the last minute. But uh, when it comes down to Carey Price and Jake Allen in net, I have a feeling this team might win a little bit more down the stretch and not be on pace for like the 18 games that they're about to win this season if you look at their current pace. 
Yeah, I think so. I mean, it, it, like the, the things that I see from Allen is just like he's just he's a solid goalie. Like he's not going to necessarily steal a lot of games. But like tonight, I thought his team actually for for once like helped him out a lot by cutting yeah. down the number of rush chances like the game winner was one of the rare times where tampa really was able to develop a lot of speed and then get to the middle on him uh you know the first goal i think he he, he was probably really surprised that that uh, there was a turnover so close to his net the second uh that six on five goal like that was just a good setup by stamkos to uh perry and you know it's a, it's a tough way for the goalie like pushing across in so much traffic like you know, I I would give him a solid B plus tonight. Like he, obviously, you know, if, if he had made one more save, then this game could have been won. But at the same time, he he didn't really give up that much. Yeah, and I think a solid B plus is what you expect from Jake Allen, right? Like he is not signed to be Andre Vasilevsky. <laughs> like what he's giving right now is very very solid. Uh, comment here: Can we have a drinking show? I mean, we might have to do that down the stretch this season depends how bad things get because it's it's already pretty bad we're we're not yet running out of things to talk about because there's always new players coming up and you know there's the philosophical musings of where the organization's going to go and the new management structure which is always really interesting to talk about they could hire a general manager we could talk about that but uh, eventually at some point this season in and around probably like the 60 game mark or something or like after the trade deadline when there's nothing really to play for we might have to have a drinking show. We'll see if uh, YouTube allows that, but uh, I think that'd be pretty fun. Maybe like uh, do a show where you're taking shots every time something gets mentioned. Uh, yeah, I mean, I'm sure there's a number of local microbreweries who'd be happy to sponsor that show. I think as a commercial tie-in, it could be pretty cool. Yeah, that would be pretty fun. So, so as an aside, um, do you want to know what it's like to play hockey at the Bell Center? I've skated at the Bell Center, but sure, oh, play yeah. hockey. Yeah, you you never play hockey there? No, no, only skated. Oh. I got to go to like a free skate. Yeah. Okay. Okay. So, so I'll tell you. Um, I, I don't know if you talked about this, but so, so I worked for the Habs in 2013, 2014 in uh, in marketing, and I basically wrote for the website and ran the Twitter uh, Twitter account that year, and maybe one morning every other week we would get an invitation to go and skate with like some of the support staff so like not hockey ops people but like maybe some of the trainers or some of the marketing people some of the like the um, advertising people from FX. uh so we would have this like morning game at like 6 30 a.m and so i i didn't drive back then so i would cab in the morning like go through the media entrance um and then uh, we would set up in like one of the visiting locker rooms and, uh, it, it was really cool. Cause we had like power service and everything. Cause like the trainers, like they, they would actually set up for us. And nice. I, I was able to do that maybe like f five or six times that season. I, I want to say, but you know, like some of like the, the, the skill level was actually really, uh, the gap was really wide. Like we had some guys who like played major junior and then others were no better than like maybe beginners almost right but but it was really fun and there's actually a lot of little quirks about skating on an nhl rink that you kind of take for granted so so the first thing is um because it's a much bigger building like if you compare that to any kind of community rink like the ceilings is obviously much higher because you have the stands and it just feels like really cavernous and once in a while like because uh there's no crowd and there's there's nothing there right like you would hit the post and you would just kind of lose the puck 
because you have no idea like how high it's bouncing and like all the seats are like it's it's kind of black right so you and then about 10 seconds later like you would hear like the puck drop like somewhere in the opposite corner like it was really eerie like you would shoot the puck and like it would go into the twilight zone for like a few seconds and then and then you would kind of see it appear somewhere else the other thing is i haven't skated in in that many nhl buildings it's just um at the bell center and at, at the uh, scotia bank arena that i've been ice level but the bench like the players bench uh at the at the bell center is the crappiest bench i've ever seen in <laughs> any rink it's like this old wooden bench they might have kept it from the forum honestly like that maybe that, that's why yeah. yeah because it, it's like it's made out of like hardwood that it, it looks like it's 60 years old at least it's placed way too close to the boards so like it, you have a tough time getting out of there once you you sit down because the the bench and uh, the boards are like much closer than you would usually expect it to be. And then at the very end of the bench, like kind of where um, I think between where like the players stop and the, the backup goalie starts, the bench actually, it was shaved. Like it's got this like roundedness to it because the door has to swing open. So the, the bench is so close to the boards that they have to, they have to like sand it down or shave it so that the door can like open and close. So it was like the most it was weird because like the bell center for me is like, it's one of the best design buildings in the NHL, but then like the bench setup is one of the worst I've ever seen. <laughs> it, it's really strange. I feel like it's, it makes sense to do that for like the visitor bench, but when it's the home bench, it's like how much are you going to sacrifice for tradition? I, I get it. If it's from the, the forum to bring like something, but I don't know, put that in the alumni room instead and, and get a modern bench. Cause that's just, I don't know. Maybe it's something the players actually appreciate because of the history. I had a com conversation with John LeClaire last week uh, for an another gig that I do, and it was really interesting to hear because you expect, like, John LeClaire is most associated with the Flyers, right? Because that's where he had the big prime of his career. But the way that he talked, and, like, I asked him a few questions. Uh, one was, like, uh, name, like, your top uh, lineup of all time of players that you've never shared the ice with. And a lot of it, he leaned on his history, like the l history that he learned while he was a Montreal Canadian, just the way he talked about being a Montreal Canadian. I was like, man, this guy, like he really gave a shit. Like he wanted to be a Montreal Canadian. It was incredible how much he remembered and how much attachment he still has to the franchise, which I guess like to an extent you say, yeah, he won a cup here, but also he didn't play in Montreal that long. And the best, uh, parts of his career outside of that Stanley cup were all in Philadelphia. So it was really interesting to hear that perspective of a guy that actually still has that attachment that you wouldn't expect, but uh, that history does matter to some players. I'm sure, but yeah, get it, get a modern bench. <laughs> it's that's a, that's a weird thing. One thing that stuck out to me when I skated at the bell center, cause I've only ever skated there in terms of like professional rinks, was uh, the ice is amazing <laughs> compared to skating on any other rink that I've ever skated on in my life. I was like, wow, it's so easy to skate on this ice. And it was like, obviously not in game shape because they were doing free skates for season ticket holders at the time. So it was like 45 minutes, a bunch of people out there and then you get off, they do a quick scrape and then another group goes on and we were like the fifth of the day. So like by NHL standards, it was probably chewed up like crazy, but you see like, the standard of what 
people at that level expect for ice quality is just so much higher than you would ever imagine. I know this is probably a little bit too much of uh, inside baseball, a little bit boring for the viewers here. So let's switch back and talk about the game a little bit. Uh, Laurent Dauphin got his uh, first game today. He seemed to have a pretty strong defensive game. Uh, anything stand out to you from Dauphin today, Jack? I mean, I I definitely saw him involved in a lot of battles, but in terms of his skill set, like he's kind of like your classic tweener that you can bring him up for a few games, and he'll 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 try hard and he'll be in the spots defensively. But it's just like once again, you know, there, there's not a lot of high end skill that's going to sustain his play. So for you know, like that adrenaline that you get is going to wear off, and you know, within two or five games. And then afterwards, it's going to be tough to, to stay at this level unless you're bringing something extra. And, and there's a lot of players like him, and, and it's not to denigrate him or anything. Like he, He's doing very well at the, at the AHL level, and, and that's really um, the, the separating factor. Like For instance, in, uh, when I was in Toronto with the Marlies, I had Nick Patan. And Nick Patan, like, if you just watch him handle the puck and play in practice or even play in AHL, in AHL games, like he's one of the the most skilled players of the league, right? But it's just for him, it's more on the physical side where as an extremely small guy, he, he wasn't able to outrun people. So then he was always in the battle and then he tended to lose those battles. So, you know, he would come up with the lease for a game here and there, but it was tough for him to sustain that level. And I believe now he's in, he's back in the Canucks organization, but he, he's playing Abbotsford if, if memory serves. So, so you have a lot of guys like that. Yeah, I think that's one thing that, is a constant uh, annoyance for me with the, uh, I don't want to rag too much on media, but media people have an issue separating puck skills from talent, right? Like you hear all the time. And I think Joe Druin has been fantastic this season overall above my expectations. He's given it all most of the time when he's out on the ice, one of the guys who's trying every game, but you hear it all the time, like, oh, you watch him in practice and he's the most skilled guy out there and he's incredible. And like, yeah, puck skills. Fantastic. But like, if you were to ask the average media person, like who is more skilled between Jonathan Druin and Brendan Gallagher, they're going to go with Jonathan Druin every time. And like, yes, in terms of puck skills, but in terms of like the skills that translate to the actual game on the ice. I would say Brennan Gallagher has a better skill set. I'm not a huge uh, music person necessarily, but I would equate that to ha someone having a nice voice and someone being a really great singer or especially a really great singer songwriter, right? Like someone who has a good voice or even a great voice, like you, you know it when you hear it, but then someone who's a transcendent, you know, has a very kind of, uh, unique voice or someone who's good at songwriting, who's really creative. And, and like, that's just another category. Like the, the, the singers and artists that we know the best are not the people necessarily the best voices or, you know, the best acting mannerisms, whatever it's, it's people that are able to create something and, and that it's not the same thing. Yeah. That's actually a great analogy. It, it reminds me of, I watched a video on uh, Johnny Cash's vocalizations during his uh, remake of the song Hurt by Nine Inch Nails. Now, like, it's not necessarily good singing, but it's, like, extremely effective singing to convey the emotions that he's feeling. And that's uh, 
it's a good analogy, Jack. I'm with you there. I'm with you there. Yeah, like like um, I don't know if you like Bob Dylan, but Bob Dylan is one of the worst singers I've ever heard. Awful singer, like, amazing songwriter. Yeah, so but but undeniable in his impact. But it's just he's like the Mark Stone of singers. <laughs> With that choppy choppy skating stride, but he always gets where he wants. Yep. That was uh, there was actually a topic uh, that came up recently about Elias Pettersson uh, not being a great skater. But uh, extremely effective skater. Well, better now, right? And, and once again, it's like you have to allow a level of like idiosyncrasy if you're a star player. Like you, you can't expect your star players to be textbook. Like you know, if, if we talk about Nick Suzuki, right? A lot of the things that he does is textbook. And yet, for me, the thing that leaves me the most kind of wanting in his case is I wish he would try more things because. It's like he colors inside the line at all times. Yeah, and you want him to use his skill to do something great, right? And you want him to be that guy that can break open a game. And instead, it's that coloring inside the lines that kind of makes him such a great defensive player. But if you want to get that bit of offense out of him that you can see it could happen, he's got to break out of it a little bit. Um I don't know if there's much more to chat about in this game. Uh, it was a really entertaining game, but I'm a little bit under the weather, so we'll probably wrap it up early here. And uh, before we go, though, make sure that you subscribe to Game Over Montreal everywhere you can get your podcasts, and of course here on the YouTube live show on youtube.com slash sdpn. Make sure that you download the sdpn app oh, this way, and check out the Game Over merch. And if you are are somebody who has really enjoyed Jack's commentary here tonight and his breakdown of all of these skills and things that have gone gone on in the game. You can go to the link in the YouTube description here, or if you're listening on the podcast, there's a link in the podcast as well for Jack's ebooks. He's written two, three, four books now, Jack. A number of ebooks. <laughs> a number of ebooks. Well, anyway, all of them you can go check out and you can use the code GAMEOVERMTL all one word and get five bucks off. They're all fantastic. There's really interesting stories in there. Uh, breakdowns of uh, specific players. They're really quick, easy reads, and you will come away from it knowing something that you didn't know heading in. I swear to you, they're very good. And uh, thanks, Jack, for coming on. Before we go, obviously, outside of the books, plug some stuff that you're doing. So the best way to keep up with what I'm doing is on Twitter, J-H-A-N-H-K-Y. Uh, uh, follow me and then uh, enjoy my free tweets for uh, however long uh, they're up there for until, you know, I, I decide to not tweet anymore. So Until <laughs> some NHL team grabs you up is what you're saying. Well, I mean, I'm... I'm helping coach uh, the PHF's uh, Connecticut Whale. So if you ever watch women's hockey, I, I highly recommend it. We got some fantastic players. We play a style that's fun to watch. Uh, catch us either on uh, Twitch or on uh, TSN Direct if, if you're in Canada. Awesome. Thanks so much, Jack. And thanks to everyone who is here with us. If uh, you're still looking for something to watch, you can actually head on. We're streaming two things at once right now on STPN. Uh, YouTube channel Jesse Blake has ho is doing his uh, last kick at the can in the NHL 22 or I believe it is and he's the general manager of the Buffalo Sabres in 2026 
trying to win the Stanley Cup. Built up from nothing. Uh, he keeps on blowing it, though. Uh, he had Game 6 and Game 7 in his last Stanley Cup final come from behind victories for the opposing team. So, uh, Jesse Blake, very much a Toronto Maple Leafs person at heart, blowing it at the final minute. Thanks so much for joining us here today, and uh, we'll see you 